The Outside Tapes contains content and themes that some listeners may find distressing. You can check for content warnings at the end of each episode description. Tape 1. The Late Night Stroll Right. I think this is working. Uh, hello. My name is Alfie Greaves. This tape, and the tapes following it in numerical order, are an account of my investigations into a series of individuals who I believe to be united by a common, albeit bizarre, experience. Apologies for the audio quality. I do intend to secure better means of recording, but until I do that, cassette tapes it is. Before adding anything at all, I would like to make it clear to whoever I end up sending these things to that I am not a sensationalist or a gullible fool. I do not believe in ghosts, nor do I think that demonic possessions are real. I believe all of this to be some kind of extravagant prank, or God knows a cult, but there's something here and I'm sure of it. I should probably start with explaining who I am. First and foremost, I am a journalist. I've lived in New York for the past several years, uh, working mainly freelance, but I'm originally Irish. I'm recording this sitting in a van in a mostly empty car park for a large supermarket, just a few hours outside the city. This van is currently my living situation. I decided to move out from my rented apartment to chase what I believe to be an important story in some dire need of telling. I had some money saved up, and beyond that, I will be figuring it out. The story leading to these investigations tracks back just a few months. As with most journalists these days, I do much of my work digitally. It's a better medium for my position, as freelance work is not always easy to come by. In this way, I can write for anyone, anywhere, whenever I need. Anyway, some monthly publication in Brunswick, Maine had commissioned me to write part of a summary of some significant events in the news that month. I'm sure many of you remember, four months ago, the rather tragic events surrounding the death of one Clayton Rodriguez in rural Maine. I will summarize quickly as I can. Mr. Rodriguez, a veteran of the U.S. Army, was found dead with multiple gunshot wounds having stumbled into the house and bled out on his kitchen floor. Later, a small group of hunters were discovered in a nearby woods, similarly deceased. By now, the story has been assembled. Rodriguez had been at home where he lived alone, when he heard gunshots and movement in the woods. He had tracked out into the woods, and in some manner of post-traumatic stress disorder triggered panic, he had shot and killed three hunters while taking severe gunshot wounds to himself. He returned home and died from the wounds. He was found a day later by his brother, one George Rodriguez. It's a tragic and unfortunate case for everyone involved. The story had of course been told a number of times prior to my being assigned it within this summary, so it was more out of habit than necessity I decided to cast around for any information online. This was mostly unsuccessful. Mostly. I had found a small forum frequented by veterans used to anonymously discuss just about anything. 
there's threads of discussions and stories about experiences during service, after service, there's advice. It's a very wide site. It was here that I found the thing that started my interest. It's a post with zero interactions. Far as I can tell, I'm the only person on the site to have read it, and I came across it entirely by accident. The post purports to have been made by the aforementioned brother of Clayton Rodriguez. It claims to be a typed version of a series of sheets that he discovered along with Clayton's body that morning in which Clayton, while dying, had documented his final hours of life. I trust you can hear the skepticism in my voice, but I ask you to bear with me on this one. I will explain the significance and the disquieting detail of this account when I am through. Reading begins. I don't know how to begin writing what I saw tonight. How much of it even happened at all. Feels almost like some drug-fueled nightmare, but I felt so horribly lucid the whole way through. It started after work this evening at maybe 6 or 7pm. I grabbed myself a beer from the fridge as I wiped the insulation dust from my work pants and settled down for the night, or so I thought. The next minute I was up and walking back out the door. The feeling I had is hard to put into words. It was like suddenly remembering you've forgotten something on your way to work in the morning and returning for it. An abrupt shift in purpose. But there was no obvious purpose here. For a few minutes I assumed it was just that I'd forgotten why I left. But I continued regardless and I found myself retrieving my hunting shotgun as I went, its polished black steel reflecting the amber glow of the street lamps I passed under. I was half asleep while all this had happened, a strange and unnatural calm over me that was then penetrated by a subtle element of anxiety. Enough to clear the fog from my perception, but I still felt a compulsion, a need to keep going. I recognised where I was perfectly well. The asphalt of the long, narrow road out of town as dark as colour in the sky above. I live far enough from town that, especially at this time of night, my path ahead was desolate. I felt myself nearing a turn, as if the route was ingrained into my memory, but I'd never seen that turn before, a moonlit wooded trail and its sporadic lining of fence posts were nowhere in my memory. The sensation that I needed to keep going grew stronger. I was getting closer to whatever it was I was being directed towards with that strange magnetism. The forest was silent, my crunching footsteps invading the darkness. The tree cover denied access to all but the occasional sliver of moonlight, and yet my strides were confident as they had ever been. As I left the trail and forged further, the overhead foliage began to become more sparse and allowed much more moonlight to penetrate the ground below. I felt my steps slow as something came into view. A few hundred feet ahead of me was a sort of glinting that came and went every few seconds. As I got closer and closer, I began to make out three figures shifting around the light source which I now recognize as a flashlight blinking with low battery. The figures appeared to be three men clad in hunting camos with rifles slung over their shoulders, huddled close while one held a shovel and dug furiously. Even though my eyes scanned these figures, a trait I picked up in a rack and have never really been able to shake is that I always watch the ground ahead of me. Lucky too, my marching paused and I observed a bear trap that lay in my path. I gingerly bypassed it. I felt I couldn't let these hunters have what they wanted, whatever that was. I crouched down and quietly dashed to the nearest tree. I was now less than a dozen yards from the tree. The light blinked out for the last time and one of the hunters shuffled to the tree stump it had been resting on and began to unscrew the end with a metallic scraping. 
this was my chance, I felt, and I swung around the trunk my back was to, and I pulled the trigger. The blast ripped straight through him as I advanced from the tree line and sent the other two scrambling away into the trees. Scrambled isn't the word, but I don't know one that can describe the way those uh, people moved. We all spend our lives learning from experience and those around us how best and how most naturally to walk. Those hunters moved like no one I've ever seen, their legs stabbing into the soft ground beneath them and their arms probing for the rifles they slung at their shoulders as they propelled themselves into the trees. There was this terrible deliberation to the way they moved, like every muscle that contracted did so individually and intentionally. It was just unnatural. I advanced a few paces to a closer tree, and I braced my shotgun to the left side of the trunk, scanning the dimly lit tree line for my apparent enemies. I swapped to the right side of the trunk, and suddenly the left side exploded into a shower of wood chips just where my face had been. The shot rang out from a large trunk, a hunter now visible, fumbling to cycle the bolt on his rifle. My gun barrel swayed slowly to the right, and the muzzle flashed blindingly bright as it loosed buckshot into his body. He, or... It let out a growl I didn't know a person could make and fell to the cold forest floor. Suddenly, I was aware of movement in my left field of vision and another deafening bang. I swung around, pumping the slide, pulled the trigger for one last time, reducing the hunter's inhuman features to a fine red paste. Still, I felt I had to cover up whatever they were digging for. I reluctantly crossed to the pit and found myself looking into it. Sitting there, about a third of the way uncovered a few feet down, was this small black box, about the size of my fist. It was made of something black and dull, stone of some sort maybe, but I never even considered reaching for it. That felt like the wrong move. Instead, I grabbed the shovel, and I was already piling new earth and sticks onto the pit before I noticed the dark liquid dripping into it from a hole in my gut. At the time... That somehow seemed insignificant, and I finished my cover-up before taking the shovel into the woods and burying it. Finally, I felt myself return to my senses. Confused and afraid, I retread the path home, and now here I am, deliriously recording a psychotic break, bleeding to death from a gut wound having just killed three people. I don't think I'm living through this, and even if I did, I wouldn't be able to explain anything I've done today. One last sunrise to watch will be nice, though. End reading. Right, I'll start with the obvious here. I do not believe this to be the last writings of Clayton Rodriguez. There's quite a few reasons for that, so I will summarize. Firstly, the subject matter. A presence from the beyond influencing actions. Monstrous not-quite-men searching in the forest for an artifact. Not exactly rational, verifiable, or believable. Secondly, we have what is a rather obvious flaw to me. If Rodriguez had the necessary time and lucidity after being shot to document these events in a coherent and almost eloquent, if abrupt, manner, it seems unusual he would not use that time and that lucidity to call for emergency services, or at least to contact and say farewell to loved ones. This doesn't make sense in the slightest. Lastly, the involvement of Clayton's brother George is in rather serious doubt. My first course of action when I decided to investigate this was obviously to contact George. It was easy enough to find an email address, so I asked whether I could ask a question or two. He sent me back what I assume was something he'd prepared. 
God knows the poor man must have been pestered by enough reporters, so he mailed on what appeared to be an answer to any questions that would likely pop up. All of it confirmed what was already known and had already been released. Clayton was a good guy, kind, active in his community, kept in touch with old friends, had never displayed any symptoms of PTSD or psychosis, all of which serves to make this unusual. Anyway, I pressed on, specifically asking whether he knew anything about the online post I found. Uh, just to say this very clearly, George Rodriguez claims he did not post that account. Furthermore, he claims to have no knowledge of the alleged writings of his brother, and claims not to have seen anything like that before. Moving now to why I even consider this anything more than a bizarre prank or a horror story. In terms of provability, all I can really say is that the times match up with the police reports. Manner of the gunfight seems consistent with reality. It's pretty vague, but the account is certainly uh, chronologically feasible, if nothing else. No. The concern for me lies with the time the account was posted. Uh, 9.32am, the morning that Rodriguez found the body. In fact, uh, 15 minutes before the police even arrived. The details, or even the fact Rodriguez was dead, were not at that point known to the public or his loved ones. The obvious possibility is that George is lying to me. Either he falsified the account, or he did in fact find it and is, for some reason, unwilling to confirm this. Neither of those make any sense. If he had some reason to hide his involvement, why would he post it to a public forum with his name attached? No. Personally, I believe George had little part in any of this. At this point, my suspicions moved to the hunting party Clayton Rodriguez had interrupted. The hunting party consisted of three individuals. Robert Cast, David Gartner, and John McKenzie. All three were found dead with wounds consistent with the account, forensics confirming that Rodriguez was the one to kill them. You've probably seen the statements of those families, that all three hunted together regularly, that they were good men that wouldn't hurt a fly out of anything other than self-defense. But the fact that all three were most certainly trespassing in those woods to hunt animals for sport says that that last part may not be... Apologies, uh, I digress. A fourth hunter hiding who falsified the account as some distasteful joke or vengeance is a possibility, but hardly a likelihood. Their families were largely unwilling and unable to give me anything worth including from my emails, with the exception of a quick point of note from Helen Cast, Robert Cast's wife. It reads, Bob and his friends have hunted together for a while, twice a year usually, Christmas and then sometime over the summer. But honestly, in the last few months, it's been nearly every second weekend that they go out. And they act like it's all normal and they cover, but once I'm convinced Bob left without his hiking boots and his guns. I don't know what I thought he was doing, but I can tell you that I don't believe it was hunting. Also worth noting, police reports indicate an irregularity in the placement of the aforementioned hunting traps. None were baited or even properly concealed, and they were apparently arranged in a circle pattern around the site of the gunfight in what is described as a defensive formation. In summary, the bulk of the statement itself is very doubtful. The focus of my interest is mostly shared between the actual origin of the post and, of course, most importantly, the rather unsettling comparisons and similarities to the much more verifiable case of one Teresa Wyatt. End tape. Hey guys, Evan Daly here, co-creator and writer of The Outside Tapes and the voice of Alfie. 
We'd like to just say how much we appreciate you guys listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, then you can listen to three more right here where you listen to this one. Otherwise, you can expect an episode every second Sunday, but to keep up with that and other announcements and content, you can follow us on Instagram or on Tumblr, both at Outside Tapes Podcast. If you enjoyed this, feel free to tell your friends about it. We'd love for you to do that. And other than that, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. The Outside Tapes is a podcast created, written, and produced by Liam Brett and Evan Daly. This episode featured Evan Daly as Alfie Greaves. Thanks for tuning in.